Chopping Room Smith, Bud Elliott, back again for another episode of the Nolcast. Uh, we will thank our friends, New Iberia, Louisiana, Louisiana Hot Sauce, three simple ingredients, one fantastic product, one great partner of the Nolcast, people that we've been fortunate to work with for a long time, and uh, people that we very much look forward to working with for the foreseeable future. So uh, ever so fortunate for us to be able to partner with them, and they make everything that we do possible, and we start, as always, with a tip of the hat to them. Bud, I thought maybe we'd do like 55 minutes of a deep review of that pit game, break it all down and uh, just dive straight into it. Huh? Man, I, that's what I think. Like, it's a good idea to do this. We, we told people ever since you fired, you know, guy after 21 games, you were committing by your actions, maybe not by your hopes to a legitimate long-term rebuild. And uh, thus I think the proper, proper way to go about this is to yell and scream uh, about that game. When which we both agreed if Pickett was going to play that we were going to pick Pitt to win, but uh, at the time of our preview, it did not look like he was going to play. Uh, so yeah, let's let's go ahead and hoot and holler about that game for sure. Man, I don't know. Like I'm thinking big picture. What, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, I I in there with you. I will say that I am not uh, uh, particularly after the Georgia Tech game. I'm not surprised by the record of two and five. I am surprised by the way that we've looked in the past two games to get there. Um, so I think there's, uh, you know, some legitimate concern about some things uh, and, and also a very realization that, oh, this is this is not just rebuild. This is full bloom rebuild, like hard reset, press the power button down for 10 seconds and uh, and wait for it to to, uh, you know, manually reboot and start from there. So it's uh, it's not something that we're going to spend a ton of time breaking down. I mean, the. The game was a mess. If you watch the game, you can figure out where it's going by the end of the first quarter, certainly the middle part of the second. The defensive line that we spent 20 minutes talking about was able to put Florida State in situational uh, or in situations that are easy to dictate. Florida State lost its best offensive lineman, and it was all downhill from there very, very quickly. So one thing that, that really kind of struck me, at least on Twitter, was people – People seem to not like Mike Morbell trying to win the game, right? And I'm like, okay, so by by telling me that you don't like these go-for-it decisions and, and you want them to punt and you want them to kick field goals and whatnot, like these are decisions we know reduce your chance to win the game. Morbell is clearly trying to win the game. We, we had a question about this, I think, about, about a month ago about, about analytics and, and what they use. And I, I told you all, I'm pretty sure they they subscribe to, uh, to, to, to CA. They're trying to win the game. But like, yeah, you could think about this. Could this game have played out differently if they just at the end of the first quarter with the lead decided they were going to basically punt literally and figuratively on winning the game, but instead try to not get blown out. And I, I think they could have, I, I think this game could have finished, I don't know, more in that like 24 14 range. If they had decided to just punt and play field position, now it would have reduced their chances of actually winning could look better on the scoreboard. So m- maybe Maybe in the remaining games, they'll, they'll just try to play for, for image management as, as opposed to winning. But I, I don't know if that sends a great message to your team long term if, if you're trying to, trying to engage in a rebuild. So that's kind of my, my one takeaway there. I'm not totally surprised with the result when we know that some of these guys didn't want to practice during the bye week weekend. Personally, like it doesn't completely shock me. I think the, the, the real lasting takeaways from this game are the injuries. Devontae Lotator going down. Darius Washington doesn't look healthy to me, like not, not moving like you, you hope you would. And then obviously, you know, J Trav being, uh, being banged up again. 
Like that's that's problematic. I I went ahead and added NC State to the the buds bets column today uh, at at minus seven, and I don't think NC State's in great shakes, but uh, I think it's time to kind of sound that offensive tackle alarm, um, like we had in 2018. Like, I don't know who the hell is going to play tackle for you, but whoever it is, they're going to suck. <laughs> yeah, that that is the sad truth. Uh, we will, you know, we've got a bunch of listener questions that we're fortunate to be able to fall back on. One parting comment that I'll make from that game, and uh, you know, if it sounds like I'm joking here, uh, maybe 10% joke, 90% serious. Dante Lucas, somebody tries to punch that kid in the balls. I don't know if Lucas is aware of it or not in the game as it happens, but if he is aware of it and he doesn't try to kill that kid and doesn't completely lose his mind and uh, respond in a manner that uh, you know that is absent that of concern for teammate or whatever else, then that's a real big step for that kid. Now, you know, I'm not going to Zapruder film a pit player trying to punch one of Florida State's players in the nether regions, but. Um, I'm not sure he is aware of it, but if he is, that is a big emotional jump for a kid that uh, his success is probably much more determined on uh, the emotional uh, ability to keep things in check rather than the physical. So if 55 was aware of it and uh, and chose to keep composure, then that is a, a nice step. And I'm, uh, you know, I'm not just BSing. If that kid's, you know, I don't know that he's a 12-year NFL vet, but he certainly has uh, all of the physical abilities needed to be a above average college lineman. And uh, if he's starting to take some, some emotional mature steps, then that's as big of a takeaway as anything that, uh, that, you know, you and I could spend five minutes breaking down as far as his uh, blocking angles or anything else. It's a very good catch by you there. Uh, I'm excited to see if, if he can, you know, mature and, and just become a consistent, uh, like emotionally balanced player uh, as, as he moves forward. That's, that's going to be key. You want to head, head, go ahead and get into these, uh, these these listener questions? Yeah, we've got a lot of questions. We'll jump into them. Uh, there's kind of email, Twitter, and uh, most of them come from our Patreons, which is uh, patreon.com backslash Nullcast. And we uh, thank them for the support that they've given the podcast over the last year or so. Matt asks, for several weeks, Florida State's early success has been attributed to being, quote, on script. And then it's more so when you're off script when they struggle. If the script is what we've predetermined we're going to run and what we've repped in practice, does that point to a play calling being a weak point? Or is it the defense, excuse me, or is it the offense doesn't know the playbook with confidence? I'd also like to understand if the script is a straight rundown of plays from 1 through 20, for instance, or it is a decision tree based on what the previous call, uh, or on whether or not the previous call was successful. A lot of good questions here. Uh, I'll go ahead and take them roughly in the order that, that Matt asked. We appreciate his question. So uh, is the script predetermined what they're going to run? What rep in practice is the point to play calling be a weak point? I, you know, to be honest, I, I think that Florida State does a really nice job getting its team comfortable with, with the opening script. We, we've seen that. They feel like they, they have instilled some confidence with the opening script. But they also they, they do a nice job breaking some tendencies in the opening script. And I, I think what you're seeing basically is that once the, some of those tendency breakers are done, Teams are like, okay, is that it? Because this offense is not very good, right? Like you, you're playing basically a modified wildcat with Jordan Travis back there. And by the way, I think that's okay to say now. It wasn't okay to say that four weeks ago when people were super encouraged. And to be fair, it's possible he could improve as a passer. But right now, he's he's not a good enough passer to to make teams back off just playing him as a runner. Or is the offense doesn't know their playbook with confidence? I think there's certainly an element of the offense not knowing the playbook with with confidence. I mean, this this is basically a lost season for Florida State and, and and for a lot 
of college football teams. It's, it's let's just call it what it is. It's a money grab so that these leagues can, can get their money from the TV networks so that they don't go broke. That's why they're they're sending these kids out there. Like it's very hard to you know do what you're trying to do unless you're one of these teams really chasing a title this year. Uh, Matt also wants to understand that is a script just straight rundown of plays from one to twenty in high school. Sometimes they do that. Uh, he said, but or it could be a decision tree based on the previous call was successful. In college, that that's more of what it is. Your your script is kind of your opening twenty plays. You don't always run all twenty. It's not always twenty, uh, and you definitely don't always run them in the same order that you run in practice. And I think. You know, in practice, you do rep it basically. Like, okay, if this goes like this, here we go. Like the, to, to get that comfort level, uh, but it's it's more decision tree based. For the most part, teams are not going to run their script just one to twenty because there could be some plays that don't necessarily work where you are on the hash or uh, where you are in the down and distance. Yeah, um, if you weren't you know desperately eager to go and listen to the instant reaction podcast after a forty-one to seventeen loss, I don't blame you. I do spend a couple minutes talking about this this topic and the script, and you know, uh, for people who say, "Oh, we'll start the script over again," that's not really what can happen or will happen. But some of the philosophies that are involved in the script that are successful in the first series of plays are revisited later in the game, and they are not successful at all. I mean, this the script, like Bud said, the script a lot of times is finding uh, situations that you think the opposing defense is going to come out in. You're fairly confident that you'll get the look that you do. You have an idea as to some tendency breakers that you can put in. Other teams adjust. The script uh, is not a CD that you can take it back to track one and just let it roll again. I mean, it is. Uh, there's there's a reason to why uh, teams are successful with it, and there's a reason as to why it has a very significant diminishing uh, point of return as the game goes on. Okay, uh, let's go ahead. And by the way, nice job by you on the Instant Reaction podcast. That was those ones where, where it's just blowouts are are tough to do because it's like, okay, we're going to just yell and scream the whole time. You pick out a couple of things that kind of annoy you above and beyond just just the general loss, and then you, you talk about the overall picture. I don't want to give away the secret sauce here, but uh, those are those are tough to do. <laughs> We've got it patented. Uh, yeah, a lot, absolutely. A lot of reps. A lot, like we, we 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 stay on script on those for sure. So. TJ wants to know, gentlemen, what percentage would you attribute the second half struggles uh, on offense to a flaw in the coaching as opposed to the talent level, even at 50-50? Eight second half points in the last four games is concerning. Thank you, guys. So let me ask you this. How would you attribute something like players panicking and kind of quitting after they get down? Is that on coaching or is that on players? Is it on some of both? I, I think in order to answer this question, we need to be able to figure out things like that. Well, I think the idea of quitting and maybe a waning level of focus are certainly involved in uh, four of the, you know, in four of the eight quarters that we're kind of reviewing here. Uh, absolutely. Now, North Carolina was more, I think the focus was there. We're talking about a defense that made some some changes. Also talking about an offense that, in my opinion, got a little bit more conservative as that game went on in order to try to run clock, protect a lead, and also have some mind as to a defense that saw a pick six and an awful lot of snaps in the first half of that game. But I mean, the numbers are the numbers and there's nothing to really, uh, TJ, you're absolutely correct. I mean, I'm not trying to say that there's a a bigger story there. I mean, I do think it's the the idea of defenses making adjustment, uh, an offense that only has so many things that it can go to. And once it goes to it, there's not, you know, there's not a second or third page as to, where success can be found as this uh, 
as this offense is currently constituted. By the way, to get back to our opening thing about playing for the win, sometimes when we record this game, I have Monday Night Football on in the background, as I know Ingram, I think, occasionally does. Tonight, I do not because it's the Jets against the Patriots, which is one of the worst Monday Night games I can ever remember. But uh, from the Surrender Index, which is kind of a, a thing on Twitter, New York Jets decided to punt from the New England 41 on fourth and three with 30 for, 31 seconds remaining in the first quarter while losing three to seven. Fourth and three, New England 41. They punt with a surrender index of 42.83. This punt ranks as the 99.9th percentile of cowardly punts of the 2020 season and the 99.2 percentile of all punts since 2009, which means that somebody punted. There was a worse punt in 2009, but uh, that, that's, that's one of the, that's one of the worst punt decisions I've ever seen. That's probably indicative of, of a Jets coach is going to get fired. Okay. So I'm going to say that this is more so on players. I don't think it's entirely on players. I think the staff could probably figure out a better way to, to help these guys out in the second half. But in doing so, part of this is just, it's psychological. It's, oh my God, convincing these guys that the game is not going to collapse around them. And honestly, against UNC, it kind of did. And they had some penalties. Dante Lucas' personal foul, notably there, when they got down to the end zone, uh, that uh, that kind of doomed him. I, I think a lot of this is just psychological, man. And these guys not being conditioned mentally to be able to win a football game. Yeah, it's psychological. And it, and it was garbage time. But, you know, if look, if... Uh... If Keyshawn Helton holds on to a ball against Louisville, this stat is, I mean, this overall trend line is still very much there, but the the amount of points that you've scored is not maybe quite as uh, as noticeable. And uh, yeah, I think it's, I think it's players. I think it's the plays uh, and, and the diminishing, you know, returns that come from them as you try to circle back to some of the philosophies that you had success with over the course of the game. And you know, there's uh, you can only hit people with smoke and mirrors so many times before they just kind of, uh, you know, push down the mirror and and, uh, <laughs> and attack what is a a pretty weak offensive line. So, yeah, and and, and one that's probably going to be considerably weaker going forward, unfortunately. Something that is still strong though is legendary team at Hamilton Home Loans eight four four FSU loan. I got my my mortgage and my refi through Shannon and Chad. Great guys to work with, knowledge of the industry, professionalism. If you want to call them, just commiserate, commiserate about the Knowles, 844 FSU loan. They will do so with you. Uh, man, I, gosh, I, I think they're, I think they're sad. Just like all of us. I, I, I didn't even get the, I didn't even get like the Chad second quarter text during this one, you know, and, and I'm usually, usually expecting those and, and I, I didn't get them this time. So I, I, I need to kind of, need to kind of do a wellness check on Chad, I think. But the, look, they, those guys, over 100 Knollcast listeners, have gotten their mortgage or refi through Legendary. Give them a call to find out why. 844-FSU loan and Knowles Connect Knowles doing business with Knowles. Let's get back into it here. Let's uh, let's take uh let's take Lee's question. Lee asks, is it me or does it seem that this team comes out of the bye week worse than they went into it the last four seasons? Yeah, Lee, that's a good question, and that's certainly something that I had thought about. And as I started off with the beginning part of the podcast saying that I'm not so much shocked that that Florida State is 2-5, and five, particularly if you let me know the result of the Georgia Tech game, uh, but I am shocked by kind of the way that they've looked the past uh, couple weeks and the way that those losses have come. And, um, you know, the 
the pit game, I think you can say that if you knew Pickett was going to play and you knew you were going to lose your best offensive lineman in the first quarter, that you were looking at a bit of a whipping. At the same time, I don't think you're necessarily talking out of both sides of your mouth. If you can say that you're, you're disappointed with how the team came out and, and COVID year and everything that we've talked about is true. Uh, but you came out of a bye week and obviously you got to have some of the uh, broader concerns that may be going on with the locker room, coaching staff, everything else. But still, that's a disappointing way for a team to come out of, uh, out of a bye week and look. Okay, so 2017, their bye week was, if I recall, actually after the Alabama game, right? So their next game, they play NC State. Obviously, tough situations there. Your coach is quitting on you. You don't fully know it yet. And uh, your coaching staff needed to be overhauled pretty hard. And uh, that was not happening. And by the way, you had to break in a true freshman quarterback there in James Blackman. And you lose at home to NC State. 2018, uh, you actually, your, your bye week uh, was after Miami, after, after that kind of heartbreaking loss down there in Coral Gables where you lost 27-28. You end up beating Wake Forest uh, 38-17 in, in Tallahassee. So they bounced back okay with that. And, and honestly, like looking back here through Bill Connolly's notes, their adjusted scoring margin was, was 36 points. So maybe even better than we think. So they were actually okay off, off that bye week. Um, 2017, I think I'm probably going to give them a pass because the whole Blackman and feeling like the season's going to be over type, type thing. Uh, 2019, uh, you lose at Clemson. That was last year. Yeah. Uh, I remember we thought that, that losing, like, like playing it off the bye week last year with Clemson was really not, uh, not advantageous at all because you're going to lose to Clemson regardless. Uh, I did chuckle that the staff thought they were going to beat Clemson, which I thought was unrealistic. Yeah, it was a old, a old mentality and a proud mentality of requesting the bye week with the ACC before uh, Clemson, which was great in uh, 14 through 16, really not necessary in uh, you know 2018 college football world moving, uh, moving forward. 2020 bye week results have been poor. Uh, although, I mean, granted, like if your team doesn't want to, pra- if some of your team doesn't want to practice, and you have inconsistent attendance at practice, and you can't really boot these dudes because, I mean, hell, what happens if uh, what happens if you get under the under the number of scholarships, right? Every every dude you boot or kick off this roster. I guarantee you there's a lot of guys on this roster who this staff would love to tell you to tell kick rocks, right? Either they think they're bad kids, bad teammates, don't give a damn about football, or just can't play. But I don't think there's a whole lot of them that they want to kick off right now because every additional kid you kick off, you're, you're one COVID outbreak away from having games canceled, right? Because you have to have a certain number of players mandated by the league overall on scholarship and a certain number at each spot. And that's that's tough. We've been talking about this for weeks about how you, you can't be all carrot or excuse me, all, all, all stick, no carrot when, when handling this. That is an in-season approach. Off-season, you can definitely make some, make, make some changes. And, and, you know, sounds like you may have some kids make, make changes for you regardless anyway. Uh, I, I think that's, that's entirely possible. But as we saw in the SEC today, and as I think we're going to continue to see throughout college football this week, Halloween, man, Halloween is tough to deal with. If, if you are on a bad football team, You've been, you've been basically in lockdown for weeks. You can't go out. You don't get to go out to the bars. You don't, you don't get to go to parties. 
you know, like your, your season's going nowhere. It's no fun. You just got to hang out in, in the dorm. You know, you get to maybe hang with a couple close friends who, you know, also are, are really ha- are, are doing the socially distant stuff and the, all the COVID protocols. It wouldn't surprise me if, if some of these teams come down with, with some Halloween related stuff. I, we know one SEC team at least is, is already blaming their potential cancellation on that for this weekend. And uh, this is just kind of ripping through the country right now. Man, like the roster definitely could change. I know you talked about this, what, two weeks ago or three weeks ago that like there's some dudes who are, are thinking about opting out. To this point, still nobody's done it. But at some point, this could come to a head. Yeah, there's, there has been a lot of talk in the system, certainly. And, and most of it's been focused on guys that are on the defensive side of the ball. And I, I don't, that's about as far as I want to walk it up to, to that. I don't know that it's, and look, I'm not trying to act like I'm, I'm some kind of great journalist or something like that. And I'm certainly not, but I don't feel real comfortable putting kids' names out there. We'll see what happens. And I, I, if you want to say that that's, you know, me trying to, speak in code or something like that and then claim things later down the road. You're welcome to say that, but this has been a concern. There's been concern about a lot of defensive players, their level of buy-in, whether or not uh, you want to classify that as opt-out or, you know, as opting out, leaving the program, transferring, whatever. I do think that ultimately that comes to the surface and we'll have to see how big of a kind of a batch of kids that it is that, uh, that leaves the program. But yeah, it's it's been in the system for a while, and and we'll have to see what ultimately comes of it. I I'm willing to bet you, by the way, that the number of kids who actually opt out is a lot less than all these Twitter rumors and and you know people who want to traffic and rumor all the time. If you got if if you got a rumor of twelve kids opting out, um, I would estimate that five to eight come to fruition. Let me put it that way. And I I and I I might even go lower than that, right? Like like some of these guys opting out. There's some delusion to it too, bud. And I'm, I'm oh, not trying God, to yeah. over talk to you, but look, there's there's rumors that a couple guys are looking at transferring to the University of Florida, and Florida wouldn't take those dudes. LOL, not a chance. You're crazy. I mean, I'm not going to be like, oh, you're a Noel. you can't trust her to Florida. One, I do think that that's ridiculous if you're really considering that. But kids have the ability to do what they want to do. I'm not going to besmirch somebody. But you're living in a dream world if you think you're transferring to the University of Florida right now and they have any interest in, uh, you know, plugging you into their immediate plans. Yeah, if I'm Florida, I'm thinking, you know who I really need to get some guys off? And that Knowles defense is where I am headed, man. That is, God, that is how, that's how we level up. Yeah, and, give me, get there. Give me some, some linemen that are, you know, infatuated with their PFF rating. Uh, that's what I need on my defense right now. So, uh, yeah. I know Brendan Sinone on Knowles twenty four seven mentioned uh, that you know, you know Blackman obviously they, they they've heard you know could look to transfer. Uh, let's just be real here. In what world is James Blackman here on the team next year? And does it actually matter if he goes now or not? Not particular to me. Uh, I doubt this staff matters. There things that matters that much, with the exception of like I just said, you are in this weird COVID year. You need to keep your numbers up at least somewhat. Uh, Marvin Wilson, who's currently out with an injury, I, I was told uh, by by a staff member that uh, that he actually does have an injury. Uh, but who knows when 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 or if he comes back this year? So, like, could that injury linger and turn into some sort of you know, pseudo opt out? Who knows? Uh, did Tamari and Terry look one hundred percent to you? Hadn't yet. No. Yeah, I mean, like that's a guy. If I'm him, I might opt out. And just like come back next year. Yeah, I, th- I think Terry still got some. 
Okay, I haven't talked to some of the people uh, that I would classify as, quote, my NFL people. I did in week two. Um, there was still a big, a lot, uh, a lot of votes yet to be received uh, when it comes to what the NFL really thinks of, of Terry at this point. So it, it may, be, may be wise for him to continue to put some tape out there uh, and not do it if he is injured real quickly and we're bouncing all around. But yeah, your, your Halloween one, I've worked with you long enough that I, I chuckle at, at your Halloween references. Cause I get the impression that that was one of your favorite times as an undergrad running around in, in Tallahassee. Uh, and two, you know, even if you go back to look what happened during the 4th of July, during the summer, I mean, a, a bunch of guys went out, got, got, you know, went to parties, did things that college kids doing, you know, do during holiday weekends or, or big social weekends. And, and that was one of your main kind of spreads over the course of the summer. So, yeah, I think, you know, if you aren't, if you don't have that real larger locker room buy-in and you're still not looking at a conference championship or, you know, some of those original goals and dreams that were written down over the summer, man, it is real hard to keep kids focused right now and, and convince them, you know, not to take part in, uh, and some of the the things that come along with just being your average run-of-the-mill college student. So it will be a fascinating time. And like you said, whether it be SEC or elsewhere, uh, it, <laughs> you get the feeling that an awful lot of college football games might get pushed or rescheduled over the next two weeks. There, there's no doubt about it. I mean, like we, we already have three in the SEC that are being watched. One that's officially canceled. Uh, Ed Orgeron today, I believe, said that they have one healthy quarterback. They're having to rep some other guys at quarterback from other positions. They have no healthy, t- they have no tight ends who are eligible to play. Like, that's what I want to do if I'm LSU is play Bama with a true freshman quarterback and no tight ends. So, like, I'm going to have him read four wide receivers the entire time. That, that, that seems like a winning strategy. Could they have multiple guys on defense opt out? I think it's possible. I'd be surprised if it's a lot more guys on offense and the offensive guys, I think, are, are more like legitimate reasons as opposed to just not buying in, uh, which I think you have some older guys on defense who have not bought in, you know, not bought into this coaching staff. And that's okay, right? Like this is not what they signed up for. I don't blame them. If you don't want to be there, there, like, go somewhere else. That's what the transfer rule is going to be for. It's going to, it's going to be passed in January. You're going to be able to go and be immediately eligible at, at any place that will take you. I think that's probably good on transfer talk, you know, and, and opt out talk and all, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I, I think there's some guys who the staff would miss if they were to go. And I'm kind of skeptical on some of those. And I think there's some that they'd be like, Oh no, please don't leave. Oh no. Yeah. So especially some linebackers who, you know, kind of cause trouble behind the scenes and whatnot. Yeah. Okay. So Jonathan says, I can't believe it, uh, but I actually watched almost all of the pit game parentheses. It was snowing hard here in Tahoe. Oh, I thought it was really nice. Uh, so there wasn't much else to do and flip back and forth between that and the UF Georgia game. The talent uh, uh, level between those two games was stunning. In fact, I'd make a guess that FSU is much more talented and deep roster of fan podcasts than they do the players. Uh, and you guys are, are at the top of the heap. The games are hard to watch, but you guys are always fun to listen to. So thanks. Did I dream it? Or, or did FSU try to run a sideline pass in which the tight end who was supposed to screen the defender in order to allow the receiver to catch the ball and then head down the field instead essentially chose to get out of the defender's way? And let him gobsmack the receiver. Tell me that didn't happen, please. Thanks for all that you do. Did you catch this on the rewatch? Uh, I, I think he's referring to the Jordan Young uh, screen attempt. Is he not? I that's my guess because I I don't remember a tight end out there, but Jordan Young could look like a, like a tight end. He, I made a, a, a brief reference to this in the instant. It was yeah. uh, 
but another area of focus or area of frustration with the wide receivers this year. Yeah, the receiver play has been uh, has been pretty poor. I'm with you, Jonathan. I mean, I, I watched, you know, you don't have to watch more than five plays of the Clemson Notre Dame game, and you just see guys attacking the line of scrimmage, um, defenders flowing to the ball, you know, three guys <laughs> pushing a guy out of bounds, uh, and you're like, yeah, that just doesn't, it doesn't happen. And it's not, I mentioned this earlier, I think it was the Georgia-Alabama game where I talked about it. it's, it's, I don't know that it's necessarily fair as just a layperson to switch from game to game and go, oh, well, these guys look so much better, but you know, there's also a real baseline level of truth to that. You know, n- nobody at Georgia, uh, you know, n- none of Georgia's linebackers wouldn't come in here and take every snap available. Let me put it that way. I mean, it, it's just a different unit, different level of player. And yes, it looks a whole hell of a lot different on TV, uh, even to you out there in Tahoe with the soft flex, Jonathan. Uh, so enjoy yourself. By the way, you can say that for pretty, like for all the healthy members of Georgia starting defense, you can say like they would all go and start for Florida too. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Like there's not saying there's zero, but there are there's almost zero guys on Florida's defense that would start on a healthy Georgia defense. Not a lot of guys on Georgia's offense are going to start for Florida, especially with with, with the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say certainly with uh, with a quarterback discussion. Yikes. Uh, let's take uh, where do we go, Dave? Yeah, so Dave asks, hey guys, if you really sat down and thought about it, it'd be pretty difficult to design a more challenging set of circumstances for Mike Norvell in his first year. What is an honest assessment of where his mindset might be? And do you feel he will be aggressive with personnel or coaching changes? Despite the conditions surrounding 2020, he must be disappointed in some aspects of the coaching staff's performance, especially on defense. Coming in, we heard about the bold Louisiana hot sauce style flavor of Adam Fuller's personality. Might that be, might that not be catching on so well in Tallahassee? I don't perceive him being gone anytime before the end of the next season, but I was curious as to your takes. Uh, thanks guys for helping keep Seminole Nation the mind right during these extraordinary times. Oh, well, thank you, Dave. Dave, great question. Uh, so I, what is the honest assessment? We'll take the first part of this question first. What is the honest assessment of where his mindset might be, to your knowledge, of course? And do you feel he would be aggressive with personnel or coaching changes? I know coaches who were in those meetings after each of these losses. And I've had them tell me that like Norvell is absolutely double, triple down on, hey, we know what the challenge is here. We know it just got a little bit tougher. We have to stick with our process and instill our culture as long as that takes. If we don't, We'll never win. I think that he was very honest when he spoke to Roddy Jones, who in the second half of the broadcast, the ESPN analyst, who I think does a great job, by the way, he said, look, Norvell told us we have to bottom this thing out if we're ever going to get it fixed. It's going to get a lot worse before it gets better. Now, maybe he met the pit game. Like, you know, that that could be classified as a lot worse. I think it probably there's some potentially more, some more blowouts coming for this team. Uh, this year, but ultimately, I think that is a that is a good sign that Norvell knows that this has to get a lot worse first. And I think him saying that, by the way, probably indicates that he has communicated that to the administration. I don't know that he's told that to the administration, but I imagine he said, "Hey, like, okay, looking at me here, you guys get this. Like, you're gonna pay me my money either way because it's guaranteed. But like, this is gonna take a while. We're not gonna have any quick fixes to this." 
Well, it's also him convening that to the fan base. I mean, that's what that comment is used for. He's not just making a passing comment to the color TV analyst, who uh, I agree, Roddy does a good job. And uh, there's some analysts that I listen to on TV. It wouldn't shock me if maybe they listened to a couple minutes of the Nolcast before the game, and, and Roddy would be one of them. But uh, no, that is directly him speaking to the fan base through a member of the media. And uh, I don't know if he's spoken to the administration, but that is him uh, speaking directly to you, you know, Joe, Florida State fan sitting on your couch at home. The second half of this question, I, I think, is interesting and, and it's related. How aggressive do you think he will be in terms of the roster and in terms of coaching changes? I, I think that we need to be careful here not to equate aggressiveness, like just blind aggressiveness with, with positivity. I think that one really aggressive move would be to bring in a bunch of quick fix players. Right. And, and just go absolutely nuts on, on the portal and, and just totally abandon recruiting. I think they will go pretty hard in the portal, but they need to go hard in the portal with, with eyes on making their team better, not only for 2021, but also for 22 and 23. I also don't think that what this, this team needs right now is more coaching changes. I think they need continuity in the worst way, uh, something they have not had in a long, long time. Um, now, Look, if the defense still are absolutely horrendous after 2021, then maybe you think about making some changes over there on that side of the ball. I think it's absolutely, personally, I think it's kind of crazy to suggest making changes based off this COVID year, knowing like all the weird challenges these staffs have this year, just getting guys to play hard and to buy in. And, and that, you know, it's, it's just not a normal year, period. Like, think about Penn State, right? James Franklin, you may not think he's a great game coach. He's a hell of a, does a hell of a job managing his program, recruiting, all that kind of stuff. The guy wins a boatload of games. They were just in the Cotton Bowl. That's a BCS Bowl last year. They were in the Rose Bowl like two or three years ago for winning the Big Ten. And they'd win a lot more if not for Ryan Day at Ohio State. So, that, so they're, they're having a tough year. Indiana, you know, beats them. Penn State was far superior team in that game. That was one of the luckiest wins we've seen in several years, according, according to the metrics. They play a tough game against Ohio State. Ohio State's just a better team than they are. And Penn State's had some tough opt-outs. I'm thinking, okay, they could have a letdown here, certainly. I mean, they're, they're 27-point favorites against Maryland. Maybe you maybe you come back and, and you win only by 7 or something. Maybe, maybe by 10. Ingram, they're down by 28 points at halftime. To Maryland as a 27-point favorite. Like, this is not a normal year in any way. I strongly recommend that you guys largely ignore results from this year unless the team you're evaluating is one of these, like, top six or seven teams in the country who is all bought in, all playing hard every week because they're actually chasing something. This team's not that. And a lot of teams out there ain't that. Uh, but, like, don't you agree you could be too aggressive in trying for a short-term flip when when – any reasonable person is going to evaluate this based on 23 and 24? Yeah, I, I, I do. And I agree that it, you know, you can't sit here and bemoan all the lack of consistency that's existed for this roster and then go and want to fire the defense coordinator after year one. One, Florida State's not in a financial place to do that. Two, I, you know, I, I just don't think that's a legitimate conversation at this point in time. You may see a retirement slash transitioning uh, from from you know one guy on the staff. Uh, that's something that's been kicked around for three or four years now. So uh, that wouldn't shock me. 
And, uh, you know, one unit on the, on the offense has got to get better. I don't think anybody loses their job at this point, but that is, you know, a position group that will have a uh, spotlight uh, placed on it as far as improvement moving forward. But, no, I, I don't think you see changes, and I certainly don't think you see any changes at the coordinator level at this point. Also, as far as roster changes, here's the thing. You can only bring in so many guys. You can only really bring in 25 plus however many you can back count, which I think is like one or two. So it doesn't behoove you to kick every single person off this roster if you think the person might, if you think the player might be redeemable. Okay. Because they're not going to get to, to a regular roster size next year if you have as many opt outs and, and, and boots and whatnot as, as the message board would suggest, which could come true. We'll see. Uh, you need guys to be able to run practice. <laughs> like you, you need you need some kind of depth. So I, I don't think they're going to go absolutely nuts with that, but I think they'll be ag- they'll they'll be aggressive enough for sure. All right, we will uh, thank our good partners at Congruity here as we make our way through the questions. Congruity is experiencing your business optimized, highly custom HR solutions designed to enhance your brand, save time, save money, and reduce business risk. Congruity's human resource and compliance solutions are designed to maximize employee productivity, improve employee relations, and reduce employer risk associated with personal administration. And, uh, Congruity has done nothing but make the NOLCAST better, just as it would uh, your business. We would encourage you to contact our friend Matt Lewis at 844-247-4100. Again, 844-247-4100, or reach him via email, Knowles at congruityhr.com. All right, let's go ahead and take this one from Stephen. Stephen writes, uh, what are the chances either this year or maybe uh, even next year of Chubba Purdy being QB1 and Jordan Travis being used in a fashion similar uh, to Taysom Hill for the Saints? Taysom Hill, by the way, Ingram, are you familiar with Taysom Hill, the the kind of gadget Swiss Army Knife QB that, they got from, that the Saints got from BYU, who the NBC broadcast seems to think is the best player ever? <laughs> that was insane. Like, okay, he's got 100 yards. That's nice. Like, guys... Yeah, I, I am familiar with him. And uh, yeah, I mean, Stephen, I, I kind of see that as the future. I mean, I, I and I mentioned this in the incident as well. I, I think that Jordan Travis is a, a really special athlete, a, a guy who has the ability to be a, a, a decent quarterback, uh, certainly improve in, in throwing and some of his decisions. But I don't know that the future is ever Jordan Travis being your every snap guy, uh, both from some of his you know, limitations and also from a, an injury perspective. I, I think what his future looks like is, uh, is a set of plays periodically used throughout the game and maybe, you know, what you saw in the first quarter of the Miami game, hopefully with a little bit more polish and ideas to how to use him. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that is, I don't know that it's necessarily Chubba being quarterback one, but I do think uh, that that is kind of the ideal deployment of him moving forward. Well said. I mean, yeah, I, I think that, that makes a whole lot of sense. Unless he becomes a lot better as a passer, and even then, he, he does seem to get uh, get hit quite a bit. Yeah, and the I mean, it's concussion situation, which uh, you know, hopefully, will he'll come back from. Those can <clears throat> those can tend to snowball on you as somebody who's uh, dealt with that personally. Let's uh, hope that he does well. And uh, you know, Jordan's been one of the few bright spots in the season. And obviously, we wish him nothing but the best, uh, Chris ask the play on the field is disappointing right now and i don't see players who are potential stars for the future who do you view as a potential star on this team uh 
or that is currently being recruited in this current class that could be contributing to winning football in two years' time. I'm going to go position by position here and make sure that I don't miss anybody on the roster. I think Chubba could, actually. Um, I mean, obviously, he has not looked great so far. He's a true freshman. I just pulled up 2022 Seminoles roster. That's not going to work uh, because that is in the future. If I had that, we could just tweet that link. Let's think about this for 2022, uh, guys. Ready? I'm going to scroll past all the redshirt seniors and the other seniors. Blackman won't be here. Terry won't be here. Kando won't be here. I mean, they could technically, actually both Terry and Kando could be back if they wanted to just because they get that extra year, but um, I'm not seeing that. Pretty sure Corey Durden won't be here. To Kalen Brooks, uh, not really going to help you. He could technically be there. Brady Scott, I don't think he's going to be here. I think he'll go pro in something other than sports, maybe after this season, actually. I don't think he's going to be coming back. You know, Ontario Wilson, as crazy as it sounds, could technically be there for you in 2022 as as a sixth-year senior guy with, 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 with the COVID year if you want him back. Cam uh, McDonald, again, if you don't think he's an NFL guy or a high NFL guy, easily could if, if he doesn't, you know, grad transfer out somewhere, you know, after uh, after next year. Uh, Fabian Lovett is a guy who I could see potentially that that would be his fourth year in school, 22. That could be a player who, who could definitely help you. Warren Thompson, if you believe in him, I, I think you know my feelings on that. Jaden Lars would be if he takes to the linebacker position, but I'm, I'm I'm doubtful, as, as I think I think you are. Uh, Amari Gaynor certainly could, especially if if he's not like a guy who's off to the NFL. You know, Jared Jackson, I think, is not somebody that I would project to, to do that. Uh, what, what we got on him from Louisville, you and I, you and I were told, I think, independently of each other, uh, seems to kind of kind of be right there. Chaz Neal, no. Jordan Young, still a redshirt sophomore. It's kind of crazy to me. That you know he could have he could have two three more years if he wants and if FSU wants you know Renardo Green actually I think is a guy you think about athletically is he a surefire NFL dude you know I, I don't know but he could he could end up being a pretty decent college player for you but Damian Webb Travis J Brendan Gant Dante Lucas a lot of these guys playing snaps for the Knowles and I, I know Knowles twenty four seven hour article on this are are super young. I mean, other than than a very few couple guys, most of the guys playing for this team right now are freshmen, redshirt freshmen, and and redshirt sophomores. And that, that's a a stat that is oftentimes misused by teams to try and cover up how bad they are. I'm interested to see what happens there. Demory Tate be interesting to see what he looks like uh, as you get familiar with him. Brian Robinson, you've seen some small little glimpses of. Hmm. Yeah, I'm trying to think of anybody else that you didn't cover. Uh, I mean, Ja'Kai Douglas, it'll be interesting to see what they ultimately get out of him. Obviously, that's a unique skill set that they've already tried to, you know, create situations for, and he has a disappointing drop uh, over the weekend, but that's still a a guy that obviously they, you know, think that they have an idea as to how they can get him involved. Uh, I don't know that it's a great thing, but seeing more snaps from Sidney Williams than I would have ever imagined this early in the process, so... Uh, yeah, certainly a lot of the guys that are just in last year's class. Uh, Toa Philly, you know, there's some real good things there. They got to figure out exactly how to use him, and he's going to be somebody that's really got to take a step forward in a traditional offseason as far as uh, 
you know, using a weight program and developing this body. But uh, yeah, those are some of the names that are at least on the roster currently that will, you know, play a large role in, in what this transition looks like. Next question comes from David. David writes, uh, this and next year appear to be the base camps on the climb during the rebuilding years. Of the young players on the roster who are worth building around during this rebuild, how much re-recruiting do you expect to be occurring at the moment? What do these conversations even sound like? Meaning the conversations between the coaching staff and young players currently on the roster to keep them away from losing focus and interest in the team or football altogether and transferring away from Florida State. A lot. For your kids who Norvell didn't bring in a lot. Don't you think? I mean, like we're about to have open season on transfers. This program's going nowhere fast. I just kind of think they're going to have to to do this thing hard. I read this more as David's question of the coaching staff really trying to keep the focus on players who've yet to maybe been poisoned by the existing culture here. Uh, And to that, I think a lot is going on as well. I also think that we need to have perspective as to, where certain stories come from. But if it's true that these players had this team meeting last weekend or whatever, and the vast majority of the young players told the older players that they were crazy and it's not something they were going to go along with, then that's a real positive sign as to maybe a rather clear line of delineation that exists in the locker room uh, between, you know, some of the older crowd and the younger. Now things in life are never that simple. It's never, Oh, you know, the guys that have only been in the program for 18 months are all good kids and really want to do well. And everybody that's been there longer is, you know, poisoned by Willie, Jimbo, or whatever else you want to blame it on. But I think um, I think some of the early indications or that is that the positive culture that exists in the younger facets of this roster Again, it's not perfect, but it seems to be that different than the kids that have experienced three different coaching staffs in four years. I would agree with that. Um, that I think that mostly makes a lot of sense. Corey says, you guys talked about the potential of players opting out if the season got worse. Can you speak to the latest developments on the roster and what that means as far as personnel, development, coaching, and recruiting moving into the back half of the schedule in the upcoming offseason? Well, we already talked about uh, Ingram brought this up several weeks ago doesn't seem to have subsided, but yet doesn't really seem like there's a whole lot of movement on it either. Like at this point, it could happen, could not happen. Uh, I think the staff is very much aware that some guys could leave. Like, I don't think they know exactly who's going to leave, at least not an entire list. Um, But as far as recruiting stuff, for the most part, these are more upperclassmen who you already are going to project to be off your roster at the end of this year anyway, for the, like at least the vast majority of them. Um, there's a couple that I know for a fact they want off their roster and will be happy if they do transfer out. Um, as far so recruiting wise, that will not affect you at all. I think you're already recruiting like you're expecting some of those changes uh, to occur. Coaching and development wise, potentially a couple more reps for the young guys, but FSU's already playing more young guys than just about any team out there in the country this year. I feel like we already kind of hit Corey's question a pretty good bit on, on the earlier stuff. I do. The only thing that I would add is, is, is Corey and anybody else, and, and I'm speaking to myself as well, this is where you are well-served by not just focusing strictly on Florida State. Like, watch watch Tennessee. Watch what happens with that program. Watch some of these other programs that have a bunch of highly recruited kids on it that aren't having a good year and see what 
happens there and whether or not it's somewhat representative of, of what happens um, at Florida State. Look, look at Penn State. That's another roster we just looked at. I mean, um, I think that it's going to be something that occurs across college football as it becomes painfully aware that I don't know that I want to say that it, that it, <laughs> all these games left for these programs and aren't really in the chase are quite as meaningless as bowls, but man, we're, we're about to enter into a stretch of the season. That's going to be very strange, uh, very odd. And with a group of players who is more aware than ever that these games aren't really all that impactful as the back end of this season plays out. So uh, I think you'll see some of it transpire at Florida state, but I think it'll be a broader college football story as well. Uh, yeah, that, oh man, Tennessee, by the way, Oof. what are the main differences between Pruitt and Muschamp? Tennessee got a few better, <laughs> higher profile offensive linemen to join the roster. That's about it. Yeah. I mean, that was like, they think that run game is good and it's not, it's just, it might be good if, if, if teams ever thought you'd pass and, and didn't just play like goal line defense against you every time. Um, and, and you never really threatened to throw the ball. Yeah, uh, FSU is going to be active in the transfer portal, and they're going to have to have to make sure their own guys stay recruited. We will uh, thank our friends at Madison Social, as we always do. Uh, today was the classic burger deal that I've been talking about uh, recently. Want to go ahead and put on your calendar. This podcast will come out on the 10th, which means you have one week to plan accordingly for Reuben Day, which is the 17th of each month, uh, a sandwich that uh, that we are ever so fond of. So. Um, you know, we do, we joke about things <laughs> like I've made it basically a long running joke uh, that, Hey, this Clemson game needs to get canceled or whatever else, you know, that has some very real, real life implications for businesses like Madso and township and things like that. So, um, you know, if, if some of these games get wiped off the calendar, um, just be cognizant as to the economic impact that a lot of small businesses take uh, and, and know that any kind of support that you can give to Madso townships and trolley, are uh, you know the the series of, uh, of entities that are operate underneath the umbrella of for the table restaurant group? It is greatly appreciated by us, and a big thank you to Matt and his team for uh, all the support they've given us over the years. No doubt, awesome support of ours. Let's go ahead and get back into this. Try, I think we may be able to get to all these tonight. It, we'll, we'll see. We do have a long list. If, if we have to cut some, we will pick back up like we did last week in the preview. I kind of doubt people want a fifty minute NC State preview. Uh, some people are really into really into that kind of thing. Uh, Drew, let's say you guys are recruiting players to join the team after this year. Without using the words playing time, we know you, we, they will use this already. What is your pitch to these players to join this team and staff? This is a fun question. Exposure? Exposure, and you will be remembered at a different level. I mean, there's a there's a reason. One of it's because we've been doing this for 10 years, so it's a, a frequent reference back point. But there's a reason why we talk about guys like LaMarcus Joyner and, and uh, you know, Bradham and all the players that were involved in the transition that happened uh, 10 or 12 years ago at this point. Uh, you know, those are guys that Florida State fans will long remember as bringing a program back to a, a place that a lot of us weren't sure it was ever going to get to. So, you know, guys can be legendary players wherever they go. But, uh, you know, if people are cognizant and you probably have to have some kind of Florida State seed in their mind already planted. Uh, but if it matters to them to not just be 
you know, another uh, jersey on the wall at Alabama or something like that, but to have a, a broader uh, appreciation of a fan base as to a transition occurs, then that might be some kind of selling point. But uh, yeah, I- exposure, the ability to, you know, play for a brand that's still fairly significant in college football and, and the ability to play for it in a manner that maybe you wouldn't be able to as far as a series of snaps from the, the day you stepped on campus. Uh, I would m- maybe, maybe you pitch them as like, if, if these kids are really big in Forex or in the stock market, uh, b- buy on the dips, right? Uh, is, is possible. But look, realistically, you say, Hey, that my, my, my track record hiring coaches and producing players is, is very good. Heck, I, I took Memphis to the Cotton Bowl. There's a reason that they hired me. And that isn't because the team was good. It was because the team was a mess behind the scenes and was not having good results. We're going to tear this thing down to the studs. You're going to be part of the rebuild. And I, I guess that if we're on a game show, I might get X there for saying be part of the rebuild. But, you know, the, the DB they have in the 22 class, that kid is an absolute stud. Kid up and out of Gwinnett. Yeah. Like yeah. he kind of has, like, from what I understand, kind of marches to the beat of his own drummer, man. And, mm-hmm. and like wants to be part of a rebuild. And like, other than that, like people are like, wait. How in the world is Forsey to have this kid? Because he, yeah. they're going to have to fight like hell to keep him. I mean, oh uh, for sure, going to be a challenge. And and I realize I'm not saying any kind of you know dynamic information there, but yeah, it's a uh, getting a kid that's 35 minutes from Georgia's campus is going to be a, a hell of a fight. And I'll I'll leave it at that. I completely agree with you. Um, I think you could also like like let's not forget here, Florida State is not like some of these programs that hasn't won anything in the last 10 or 20 years. Like they, they won a natty in twenty thirteen. The vast majority of you know these kids' lives, they've been pretty damn good. In the in like the long history of this program, this is a this is a pretty small blip. Yeah. And if you got kids and <laughs> we find ourselves looking at the pros more and more on this podcast recently because it's some of the only areas where you can go to find uh positive stuff. But hey, look, the best best running back in in the NFL right now is a guy that you know wore wore garnet and gold and we gushed over for uh, appropriately so for as long as he did. Uh, the guy who just signed a, a record breaking contract in the NFL for a defensive back, Florida State guy. I mean, you can you can certainly, unfortunately, you're at the point where you're kind of living off stuff that happened uh, a while ago, but you're still relevant enough to be able to point to Sundays and and point to some of the bigger figures in the, in the program and, and still have some relevancy there as you pitch kids. Tradition obviously is, is something you could sell and also closeness to home. Um, w- one thing that I am interested in how Mike Norvell and his staff do, assuming that he actually gets a legitimate five years, which I think both of you and I think he's a pretty good shot. He will because of FSU's finances and because hopefully they have an understanding of, you know, the process he's trying to put in. I want to see how he recruits other rosters, particularly off this class, because there are going to be a ton of mis-evaluations by staffs, by kids, about fit, about culture, all that kind of stuff. And you're going to have a lot of kids who want to transfer back home to Florida, you know, because they they committed to some school, I don't know, in the Big Ten West that they've never actually visited in person. And they get up, they're like, oh, wow, it's really cold. And this is like, I don't really love this culture here. I want to transfer back home. Finding ways to to get better through the portal, not just quick fix through the portal, but also like finding some undervalued assets in the portal, uh, is is going to be a real key for him. And I think maybe they did take some shots on on some guys this year in the portal, and also next year 
in the portal who are perhaps looking to come home after just a single year away because they, they made a decision that I don't want to say it was like uninformed in a negative way, but just uninformed because literally it's uninformed and they weren't able to get out and see anything due to COVID. And the schools, you know, also made uninformed decisions on players. Like I, this is one of the issues FSU is facing. Their, their, their short class under Norvell is going to have a tremendous bus rate because that's what we see when you're a new, a new coaching staff in the early signing period, early signing period era. And you're going to have a, a lot of busts. And this, this year's class across the nation, I think it's going to have a tremendous number of busts. Uh, and, and also some kids who are just very quickly uh, outpacing their recruiting ranking and their, their signing destination. And we'll see if they stay at the school that signed them or if they end up going somewhere else. I, I kind of have a suspicion that, you know, you may see some kids going somewhere else if, if they ball out at some of these smaller schools uh, more quickly than you otherwise would. Mm, yeah, no, that's a good point. Something to, something to look for as well. Uh, Josh asks, you've, you've drilled home the point over and over that Florida State is in a long-term rebuild. Can you name any other Blue Bud program that was in a similar state as Florida State is currently and would be classified as a long-term rebuild during the BCS slash CFP era? Okay. Uh, yes, I can. When did the BCS start? 98, I believe. How about the University of Alabama? Pretty pretty good results of late. Uh, 1997, 4 and 7. Then it went 7 and 5, 10 and 3, 3 and 8, 7 and 5, 10 and 3. Things seem, seem to go pretty, pretty well with, with Dennis Francioni. Then they go 4 and 9, 6 and 6. They have some probationary stuff go, going on there. Like that was a, a, a pretty long stretch where, where, where they had to rebuild it coming off those sanctions, right? Like Mike, Mike Shuler kind of took them through some sanctions and then saving got there at the right time and they, they threw a whole bunch of resources at him. He was able to rebuild it. What about, uh, what about Michigan? I believe they had to have a, a pretty total rebuild there. Uh, I just Googled the, the word. By the way, a tip for all y'all if you want to find a, a, a team's season by season uh, results, just Google that team's name and then season list and uh, Wikipedia will almost always come up with a season list uh, as opposed to having to go to their actual Wikipedia page and click around. It's a separate Wikipedia page. Just try it on pretty much any team. So yeah, Michigan, uh, after Lloyd Carr, people thought stuff was going to be great. They hire Rich Rodriguez. They don't really support Rich Rodriguez. Three and nine, five and seven, seven and six. That are losing a season there for Brady Hoke. So I, I would say like that, that certainly classifies. They, I mean, they had what tenth in the conference, tenth in the conference, seventh in the conference, two fifth place uh, finishes in the division. Went out of, I believe, six teams at the time when they went to divisional play. Florida after Urban Meyer had a bunch of you know really really sketchy seasons and a couple decent ones. You got any other ones here? I'm sure there's a bunch. Like like this is not that abnormal. Yeah, there's a there's a bunch, but it it's rare that you're looking at the type of record that Florida State is. For a lot of these blue blood programs, uh, and and this would be a phenomenon that Florida State was familiar prior to the past two or three years. Rebuilding occurs coming off a series of seven and six seasons or something like that. I mean, you can look at the the program that Brian Kelly inherited uh, from Charlie Weiss. You're looking at a team that goes three and nine, which is you know a rock bottom. Three and nine, seven and six, six and six, and then Kelly takes over for some eight and five seasons. Um, Penn State with with Franklin is kind of a similar situation. That's a good example. 
That's a really good example. And also a transitionary period there and dealing with some, some scholarship uh, problems that he picks up from Bill O'Brien. But again, you're looking at a program that's seven and six, seven and five, seven and six, seven and six. So that is more kind of the traditional pickup point at some of the more, you know, ballyhooed programs. Uh, if, if we're kind of comparing college football peers and, uh, and Penn state had, had the sanctions reduced there. Yeah. I, I guys, I would say like, this is not as abnormal as, as you might think, right? See, see if you can, if you can guess uh, which, which team this is. All right. After multiple nine win seasons, all of a sudden they go five and five, three and eight, four and eight, five and six, seven and five, 13 and zero. Any idea? Is that Auburn? That's actually Oklahoma. Mm, okay. Gary Gibbs, Howard Schnellenberger for, for that one season, then John Blake. 2000 Orange Bowl team, I'm guessing, uh, that, that concludes with a 13 and 0. Yeah, no, that's a good, that is a good one. And that was a team that was desperately kind of trying to find itself. Uh, I remember they were, yeah, I just remember the transition of that and that, that was a, a, a struggle for them. I think I might have another one for you here. I, I do. Yeah. So here you go. Five and six, six and five, five and five, eight and four, ten and two, eight and five, four and seven. So kind of a, a brief spike there and then, you know, back back down to it. Uh, and before they, they rattle off nine and three, nine and five, nine and three, eleven and two, eleven and two, ten and three, eleven and one, thirteen and zero, ten and three, ten and three, twelve and one, thirteen and one. And I do that is not sure who that is. Texas. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and then they also they followed it up with five and seven, eight and five, nine and four, eight and five, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six before going 10 and four in 2018. See, see if you can guess this one. It's kind of a fun little game we're playing. It might be running long tonight, but hopefully not, not too long. Ready? This is, uh, this is very much BCS era. Seven and four win the Independence Bowl. It's 10 and two win the Peach Bowl, tied for first in, in, in the division. Nine and three, tied for first in division, win the Independence Bowl. Then uh, four and seven, three and eight, eight and four, and then they go on a run. Ten and three, eight and five, thirteen and one, nine and three, eleven and two, eleven and two, twelve and two. LSU, pre-saving. There's got to be a couple more here, right? The only one that really has never had a, like a serious down year is Ohio State. Like they never seem to go like like two and eight or two and ten. There's quite a few that have had some some really really shaky years. Okay, so this is uh, this is a, a major reveal after major success. So here we go: eleven and one, nine and two, nine and three, nine and three, ten and two, eight four, eleven and one, ten and two, eleven and two, thirteen and zero, oh, nine and three, eight and four, eleven and two, eight and five, ten and three, ten and three, and then. Five and six, nine and four, ten and four, five and seven, seven and six, six and seven, five and seven, five and seven, five and seven, seven and six, nine and four, nine and four, four and eight, five and seven, eight and five, and this year, two and four. Yeah, I thought I knew who that was until you hit me with the last record. Um, who? Wait, so who did you think it was? Uh, I thought we were talking about Florida for a second there. Um, who? Who is that? That's Tennessee. Quite a lot of programs have have been. In this spot, some have gotten back to the mountaintop, you know, quickly. Some have not. Uh, it's not unprecedented. I do think that it is really important to, to to note that the early signing period era, absolutely, in my opinion, which that's why you guys subscribe to the pod. I think that really delays this process. 
And the teams and the programs that don't figure that out and are not patient are, are really going to struggle. And I worry that FSU won't be patient. Uh, I think there are some institutional factors that, that probably indicate they will have to be patient. But like they just fired a guy after 21 games and there were legitimate reasons for doing so, but it also didn't show a whole lot of patience. And like it is very difficult to, to build a program and recruit in the early signing period era. It, like, as, as a new coach, just it just is. I mean, this is going to take longer than I think a lot of fans want it to take, or that even realize it, it'll take. Despite the fact we say it almost every week. Yeah, I, I do think that you know it, <clears throat> this is still a program that grew up uh, with a, a lot of the people when when they lost two games, it was considered to be a really disappointing season. So you, you've got some real skewed expectations, uh, and doesn't mean that Florida State should settle, um, but there is a. There is an institutional governor on how aggressive you can get with making changes. I'll, I'll put it this way. I mean, it, it's just you didn't all, – all the podcasts, all the minutes that we spent talking about the financial situation that, in our opinion, made it really difficult uh, to fire Willie Taggart last year has only been exasperated since those conversations were taking place. And, and if you talk to some people – you know, in, in their heart of hearts, will still tell you that they didn't really have the money to fire Willie last year. They just had to do it. And uh, there's only going to be but so much uh, aggressive expectation that can necessarily lead to action. Doesn't mean the expectations aren't going to be there. Doesn't mean that uh, there may be frustration if, if success doesn't come as quickly. But uh, from an institutional standpoint and making changes tied to that frustration, uh, I would not get your hopes up as a fan. We have another opt-out question. Honestly, I think we've hit that subject matter from every angle that we possibly could tonight. Uh, so we'll get one more question here as we exit. Uh, Stephen asks, one would assume that this season will hurt recruiting, but could it actually turn out to be a net positive for the program if Coach gets to see what his roster is made of from an in-game perspective? Thanks. And Louisiana Hot Sauce is without the best condiment available. Stephen, we would agree, and we thank you for your question. Okay, so... Could it be a positive in that you get to see your roster in games? I mean, like that certainly is a positive of it. I don't think that the whole situation is a net positive. I think they would much rather see some players, like some recruits in games and see some recruits in person, right? Um, I mean, think about it. Like you're, That's what makes the situation so wicked, to be honest with you. And it doesn't, and I'm not trying to just pour on the negativity, but the results from the weekend, as far as Miami avoiding a potential stumble and then Florida taking a real step forward over a, a foe that had kind of slapped them around for a couple of years in the SE East just makes it more challenging. And so more challenging of a sell. Um, and it's made all the more challenging by the fact that you don't get to see these kids. You don't get to look, you're making a pitch that you got to look somebody in the eye and they got to believe you and you got to believe them and they got to buy into what you're saying. And if, them looking at the eye, you in the eye only occurs via a Zoom call or occurs as them watching you walk up and down a sideline, realizing how much of a rebuild there really is. It's going to be really hard to make the change and, uh, and make that turn. So Coach has an awful lot of work cut out for him. And if you like rubbing salt in the wound, if you like being a guy who really uh, <laughs> finds the, the you know, masochist point in life, look at the career on some of those guys that Willie almost signed in year one and where they are. Look at, look at either of the Nick crosses at this point. I mean, you know, uh, Willie had a chance there in year one and it just, they didn't have the season that was necessary to sign some of those real kind of 
roster changing guys. Um, and Mike's not going to sign those kids in this class. That's really probably got to be a next year thing other than, you know, maybe quarterback. And I know they think highly of the DB they got out of Texas, but getting real program changers. Good luck. Good luck in this year where you really can't even, you know, you're looking to make a really personal sales pitch real hard to do in a COVID year. Your 21 season is going to be made up of two transition recruiting classes, right? Like new coach transition classes in which you only had like two or three weeks to, to, to sign the class. One full recruiting class, which was the 2019 class. It's not terrible, but it's not, not what you wanted it to be. And then 21, which is this year's class, which is basically a second transition class for Norvell and them because they haven't really had a chance to get out and recruit at all. You know, like they're still in limbo. That's why this rebuild is going to take a while because of the firing of the guy who was only here for 21 games. Again, doesn't mean it's, it's a bad fire. I feel like, I feel like I'm the guy on CNN. Like, again, doesn't mean we've called the state, but like, you know, here's the trends. We can point this out for you. If you have two transition classes in three year period, you're screwed for a little while. That's just the math on it, guys. Like the, the bust rate on those classes is is really exceptionally high. If you can find some ways to win some transfer poor battles in this year's class, that 2018 class comes off there come 22, right? And then you start to look a little bit more normal. You start to kind of have some of those really weird roster compositions off the roster. Just going to take some time. Yes, it is. So uh, hopefully y'all, I don't want to say enjoyed that, but it's, uh, I don't think Bud and I wanted to, nor do I think there's a whole lot for us to gain by going back and looking at uh, at the pit game play-by-play and, and, you know, bashing a bunch of kids that we've already kind of given our opinion about and some of the challenges that, that exist with this roster. So uh, wanted to open it up to questions, wanted to kind of give a little bit of a, a take as to where we are seven games through the Mike Norvell era and, uh, you know, we'll continue to, obviously there's a kind of a, a set schedule and format as we follow in the uh, in-season part of the Nolcast, but a uh, slight variance tonight, but always appreciate your support. A big thank you to our Patreon members who gave us many of the questions that we were able to draw from uh, tonight. And if you have the opportunity to support the podcast via a five-star review or a like on social media or whatever else uh, method you feel comfortable with, uh, know that it's greatly appreciated from Bud and I. This has been the Nolcast. The Nolcast is created and hosted by Bud Elliott and Ingram Smith, music by Judson Wright, and produced by Justin Robinson. Go Knowles.